You're listening to Antioch Center for the Nations. For more information, please visit www.antiochchurch.sg. We'll talk about your faith uh, tonight and concerning faith that is yours. We know faith itself. Hebrews 11, 1 and 2 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. And we study this this passage to define faith even in Bible school when we look at it. It is a confidence of what we hope for. Actually it's a substance and that word substance, confidence, it means something tangible, something that you uh, truly believe it is reality to you and then it is something you hope for, of course, we know that means that it's the future. You hope in the future, you don't hope in the past. You don't hope for what you have currently. If you have uh, $10 in your hand, you're not hoping for $10. That's your $10, you have it. So it's always the future. Hope is exclusively operating toward the future. So hope is what, what keeps us moving. Hope that we will have a better tomorrow. Hope that the sun will rise in the morning. Hope that our current bad situation will come to an end. Hoping in God that He will rescue us or do whatever. Hoping that we will continue to grow. Hoping that the rapture will take place and He will bring us home. These are all things that we hope for. And um, we have confidence in those things, although they are not a reality yet. He has not yet raptured us. We are not in heaven. Uh, We are here in His presence. Um, There's a song where they say, your presence is heaven to me, and um, uh, it's a nice song, but theologically a little challenging, that technically here on earth, yeah, we have access to the Holy of Holies, but heaven is a place that we are heading to, it is a location, so we're hoping in that, we have confidence in that fact. Our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, it's like you can have confidence that your new home is lovely, and you may even pay for it already by booking an apartment with Far East or one of these companies, and you own that, but it's not even built yet. Right? So, but it's real to you. You're confident that you will live in that place. It doesn't exist, but you're doing that by faith. So we see the world also living in a realm of faith, and that we see it's also assurance about what we do not see. Uh, Another verse says that it is proof. Another translation says it is proof of what is invisible. How can you prove something that is invisible. That's hard. So we know faith was born. All these things, because faith is concerning invisible. We look at what's hoped for is future. What is invisible, we know that that we cannot please God without first believing that He is. Now, it would be not a challenge at all to believe that someone is. If If I look at Patricia, I can believe that Patricia is because obviously she is. She's right there, wrapped in a blue shawl, I know that that is Patricia. But if someone is invisible like God, well, that's a little more challenging. That's where faith is required for us to have this assurance or this proof. We know without a doubt. So in other words, I can demonstrate my faith to you by answering a question. Someone were to ask me, so do you believe in God? Absolutely. So then what proof do you have? Can you prove that God is real? Well, for me, the proof of what is invisible is what he's done in my life. 
that I know his presence. I know the reality of, the, of his presence when he touches me. I know that he can turn things around very quickly. He does things that are beyond me. These are all evidences to me or proof. So we're just recapping these ideas that we already know about faith. And the ancients, that is the ancestors of us Old Testament patriarchs, they were commended or it said of them that they were great people so much so that the Bible was written surrounding that lineage that came all the way up to Christ in all those generations. And we follow those people, but every single one of them that are mentioned later, there's a kind of a, a concise record of all those in the hall of fame, of faith, in, in Hebrews chapter 11, mentions Abraham and Isaac and Noah, these people that did things to fulfill this principle of faith. And we know that the universe itself was formed at God's command. But we know that before anything existed, God is. So he's in eternity. Faith is eternal. And where it says now faith, you've also heard me teach on the fact that it's actually more of an adjective. It's not an adverb. It's now faith. Or faith that is now, meaning like he is the great I am. He's not the great was. He is the one that was and is and is to come, they may say, but they won't say it alone. He was. Because there's no such thing. And we don't have to say that he will be because he always is, period. So thinking about that concerning faith. Now faith, even our salvation, we're saved by grace and that by faith. But it is a gift that's given to us. That not of yourselves, a gift that God gives you. We recently talked about Peter receiving from the Father the revelation of Jesus in the power of confession. That it was the first evidence that Jesus had on earth that somebody connected to the Father. Because no one would have been able to recognize him as the Christ and declare it out loud unless he says flesh and blood can't reveal that it has to be the Father. So Jesus rejoiced in the day that Peter said it because there I see it. There's the Father. So the invisible Father became evident. Also, I, I see that this word confidence or substance is a, is a better word for it. It says that it, in God or in Jesus dwelt the fullness of God. He was the express image, one translation says. You could say he was the confidence of God or the substance of the Father. Because he's when invisible became visible. Uh, that the word that was formerly invisible became flesh. So we see all this linking back to the fact that faith is an eternal thing that comes down to us out of heaven and is given to us. And it is equal with creativity. We create because we can imagine. For instance, if I'm going to make something, I can look at all of the tissue boxes in the room and in my mind I can see a tissue box tower erected on that table. If I gather them all and put them there, well, nobody else right now, I guarantee no one else was thinking that at that moment. That was something in, in my tiny little mind. Like my mind invented a tissue box tower. But see that, animals can't do that. You know, animals, a dog does not look at a, a sub of many things and think how he can put them all together so that, because he does not have a creative nature, it's an instinctive nature. Because he's not eternal. He's going to die and vanish. We, however, are eternal. So he's put in us his image and likeness. We're created like this. This faith is in us. Now, when God has something for us, for instance, salvation, the salvation is already offered and given. So 
I looked very carefully. Nowhere does Jesus say to anyone that he saved them. He always says it was their faith that saved them. But salvation is Christ. Right? So Jesus, being God here through him, as many as come to him are given the right to become the children of God. To know him is eternal life. That is salvation as we think of it. But it is in him. However, he does not go around saving people. He does not go around rescuing people. He didn't really by himself, without anybody's invitation, make them whole. But the people who came to him, they specifically used their eternal component or faith to receive things, to do things. But salvation is always there. There is enough salvation. If salvation were a substance, it is not a limited quantity. It is available to every human being on earth, right? So anybody who's alive today on earth can be saved. All they need to do is do what you did and what I did. But however, how does that happen now? It says that we're saved by that faith. We have it, but we have to use it. And we do that by believing. Remember the Bible says faith is believing. So it's the play on Greek words the way they fit together. So we must first believe that He is and that He's a rewarder of us who diligently seek Him. Then we are saved because we believe in our hearts that He rose from the dead and we confess with the mouth. So now faith is coming out. Faith without works is dead. I mean, this is not just a remedial review of everything you already know. I am laying a foundation toward the power of what we see in this term, your faith. Because the faith that we have is what does everything. It is the catalyst for everything that happens. And so I went through the Bible and I isolated all the scriptures where the very phrase, your faith is used. And I found seven things about your faith. Faith. The emphasis on the word your faith. First of all, speaking from my perspective, my faith is for me. I can have faith for many things. But until you employ your faith, my faith is worthless to you. I can pray. My faith will be that you get saved. My faith will be that you get healed. My faith will be many things. Obviously, Jesus had faith unlimited faith. So to say, well, Jesus had faith that everyone would get healed. Jesus had also faith that everyone in his hometown would get healed. They didn't. Jesus had faith that they would go to that village. They didn't receive him, so they went to another village. He can have all the faith he wants. It is not helping you. Your faith is what helps you. Your faith is what saves you. Your faith, at least we can say, is what accesses salvation. So I begin to see a uh, a deeper depth of the importance of my faith. I work out my salvation fear and trembling by my faith. My future, everything. So I want you to keep that in mind as we move along. Even my children, for instance, I, I, I was frustrated as my first children were growing from baby to toddler and moving around. I realized as I began to see them make choices Choices coming from ideas, they would create in their mind an outcome, fantasy. Because un, something that's not yet done is basically a dream, a vision, a fantasy. But then they will take steps to accomplish. I could see 
them imagining dangerous things. I can see it. You know as a parent what I'm talking about. You see them look at the thing that was dangerous and you could see the little drama being written in their head of what they were going to do with that fire. And about as far as they were concerned, they would be a superhero and play with the fire and the fire would swim around them like the cartoons they watch on TV. But you know they're creating a fantasy that's going the wrong way. Then I begin to realize, well, gosh, that's their faith inside of them, their imagination, their creativity that we can create. You know, like Da Vinci looking at the solid block of granite and he saw the sculpture already. And he said his technique was to stare at this block. He would look at it from many angles. A couple of the great sculptors would do exactly that. They would look at it from many angles and look at the grain and the movement of it in a way and they would decide even within that block the position of the creation they were going to make. Once they locked down to it, it existed. Wow. You understand? It already existed. And their technique was to remove what didn't belong there. But in their mind, that beautiful statue of David was already in existence. They saw it. Because there's no way, it's not modeling clay, you understand? Modeling clay is a large margin for error, a lot of room. If you ever built clay, you know you can try to make the face and it looks like a monkey, but you're trying to do your wife. And so you have to, you, you, but you can keep shaping, not with rock, not with solid granite, one mischief, one bad strike, and it is completely ruined. Now you start to understand the mastery of faith inside of a sculptor, a real sculptor. I have been to Paris, I have been to great museums, and I have seen these masterpieces. They are awe-inspiring. When you look at them, tears well up in your eyes. Because you realize that is God. Not that the statue is God, but the fact that a person had the ability to see that in solid granite and just remove what did not belong so that what would remain would be this perfect image of a man or an animal or a thing. And so we see all this about faith. And that was Da Vinci's faith. That's Leonardo Da Vinci's faith. That his vision, his creativity. Uh, that would be, um, you know, uh, Michael D'Angelo. His, his ability to see paintings and then just put them there. And then this is very important because we realize then if we look at it that way, well, we're operating in faith all day long every day. You can imagine in your mind and start thinking about Bakute. <laughs> How many have ever thought about something you're really hungry for and you actually salivate? How many of you have salivated so much just thinking about a thing you've had to wipe your mouth? I have many times. We used to have this, I'm an American, we used to have this hot dog place at Plaza Singapore in the basement near the entrance to the MOT. It was the only place in this country I found a proper hot dog. A really, you could get a big, delicious hot dog with sauerkraut and correct mustard and everything perfect, grilled bun. It was amazing. Let's see, I'm already salivating. Because mm -hmm. I'm remembering and thinking. That, once again, faith, substance of things hoped for. I would hope to have that hot dog. And just the imagination of it can cause a physical change in my body. 
that my physical body will begin to produce stomach acids in anticipation of that food coming, thereby causing hunger pains. You can imagine something from a full state and become hungry. By what? By just a sheer dream. So we see faith is in us. And what we do with it is so important that we utilize it to do the things. And so everywhere this phrase that Jesus said, your faith, your faith this, your faith that, I, I removed the redundancies and repeated things in the synoptic gospels and I eliminated it down to just these seven things I want us to look at tonight to just learn a little bit more about our faith. Oh. Number one, oh. uh, your faith makes your future. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him and he asked them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, let it be done to you. Now I want to take a moment to think about this word, according to. Conforming to your faith. According to your faith. Now, authority comes from this, in the sense that I will not receive things, I will not be able to interact with God in the proper way concerning my future without faith, because it's impossible pleasing without it. So I need to know how to use my faith so that my faith can dictate things about my life and future so that according to it, things will come to pass. It's like authority. If I'm a small child and my friend invites me, I'm just a young boy, my friend invites me to go get ice cream, I cannot just go with my friend if I'm too young. I need the permission. According to my parents, I can or cannot go. Right? According to the law, you can and cannot do things. So there's authority connected to this. Your faith is authority within you that is based in eternity. And according to it, you can create what your future will be, the outcome of your life. In this case, there were some blind men that had to have at one time, I don't think this is a random thing that blind men were just hanging there, you know, playing games and, and talking to each other when suddenly they just got an impulse. Hey, there's this guy walking by. Well, oh, man, he should be able to heal us, right? So they just start screaming, no. I'm thinking they strategized this moment in their lives and took their times to put themselves in a place where they could cry out and say, Son of David, they knew they referred to him as the son of David. That alone means that they had the mentality believed that in him was life that could help them, heal them by doing a miracle. So according to their faith, let it be done to you. Jesus was saying, by the authority of your faith. What does your faith say? It's almost like Jesus was saying, and this is true, listen carefully, let me fully say what I'm saying. It's almost like Jesus was saying, why are you asking me? I really don't have control over this. I don't have that authority. I am, I am healing. I am salvation. Jesus was the way, the truth, and life. He was healing. He was wholeness. He's fullness. He's everything. He was a, a, walking, a walking buffet of everything. <laughs> Note a moment ago, the Spirit of God led us into a type of a chorus that, was not, that came out about everything is in Him. About I know I I firmly I mean I didn't plan on saying it, it just came out by the Spirit I, I firmly believe that everything I need is in you Jesus had everything but Jesus did not have the authority to just run around doing exactly what he wanted according to his faith in people's lives that's why he couldn't heal the people in his hometown because if it were according to his will everything would be okay 
I wish it was according to the will of the Father or the faith of the Father what happens to the souls of men. Because he's not willing that any should perish. And if that were, if it were that simple, well, we would be wasting our time training to be missionaries and teachers and preachers. We'd be wasting our time talking to people about Jesus. Because the Father's will would, would supersede and go beyond everyone's will. They wouldn't, you wouldn't have to think about, no. The faith has to create an outcome and create an image or a story, like again, the sculptor has to see it before it can be. They saw themselves healed before it happened. And according to their faith, he says, according to your faith, let it be done to you. He said, based upon the fact that you have this, according to that, by the authority of the faith in you, okay, I agree. Let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. Jesus warned sternly, see that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him all over that region. So in this case, your faith makes your future. So according to your faith, let it be done to you. He told them that because this is how it works in our life. And we're all created by God. Uh, we are made in his image and likeness, like I said earlier. So if we use our faith and the authority of that faith, things can happen. Things can become that we're not. Because we believe and then we confess. Salvation is believed and confessed. Faith works through that. If we're saved by grace, that by faith, faith must be spoken. It must be said. Remember we did a message recently about uh, confidence and it actually means bold speech. Not bold thoughts, but bold speech. So part of the action of faith, if faith without works is dead, some of the works require that we just speak them. Then we do physical things that match our talk. Our faith walk and our faith talk must agree. My Bible school teacher taught me. Otherwise, we are a heretic. So if your faith matches, uh, if your faith talk does not match your faith walk, you are a heretic or a hypocrite. So this is what we say. We, we have the faith inside. A lot of people have faith in their head. A lot of people, you say, well, I believe in God. Oh, that's great. The Bible says, well, so do the demons. So believing in him is not enough. It goes to the realm of confession and speaking. And really, my whole ministry, anything I've ever done, has been what I speak. If I speak it, it will come to pass. I, I can say a thing, and it will be. Now, not always going to be perfectly exactly how I wanted it. That's another thing we need to be aware of. As faith was speaking through the prophets of old in the Old Testament, Jeremiah um, and Isaiah... All these prophets said things that would be, that have come to pass, but in actuality, they've played out a little differently than the words described them. Still, we can say, yes, it's bona fide truth. It did come to pass. But like I always like pointing at, Jesus was not named Emmanuel, although it says his name will be called Emmanuel. Because Emmanuel meant God with us. But so you can say, well, then, oh, okay. That's why it wasn't so easy. It's, sometimes we get critical of the, um, the, the Pharisees and we say, you know, couldn't they just see in the Bible itself? Actually, it took a little contemplative time and research to see that and find it. Even when Jesus was telling them. Because they, they read what it said and what it said was what it is. Paul's ministry was based upon taking those passages and explaining them. And so were all the people around him. Also, um, we find that Apollos was the same way. Basically, their, their text was Old Testament prophecies and Old Testament stories. And they proved the validity of Christ through those stories. 
by speaking and then connecting to those things. But it's interesting, that was spoken by faith through those men, those prophets, and it came to be in the future. And because it is an eternal plan that God has, same for your life. That's how my ministry has been. When I was a young man, I dreamed like these blind guys. They dreamed that if we just yell at him, if we just get a hold of him, he'll do this. I thought about that, about ministry and places I would go and things I would do. Let's look at number two. Your faith accesses the power of God. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and the woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I touch his clothes, I will be healed. And immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. So, so far in this passage, we see her using her imagination to think about a thing and because she thought in her head. But she had to take those thoughts and bring them into a realm of reality by actually putting into practice the things that she said. Uh, right now, I'm excited about my son. We heard that um, presentation from him. He's on the verge. It's really fascinating to note what's going on right now. I did not put two and two together. It's just he's been granted this visa, which gives him the right to work, the right to do things. He can now function as a free entity to create. He's been dreaming for a long time. I did not realize that he's been there for exactly seven years because it, it corresponds to the tsunami. What caused him to go to Japan was the tsunami. The tsunami happened, his heart was broken, he couldn't sleep all that night, and the next morning we made the choice to go. It took a few weeks for everything to work out for us to get there. So by, by April, by the start of April, he was there and became a missionary full-time in Japan. But that was 11th of March. Exactly this 11th of March is seven years since the tsunami. And it's, God does things in sevens. I don't know why all the time, but I see the significance of it. So immediately I told him, okay, well, you need to, um, by the 11th of March, you need to make some, tap the arrows. Because I feel this is significant. You need to make the choices and decide what you want to do. And he's doing that even right now, even as we're here together, he's feverishly making plans. Um, he's constantly writing me. I'm very excited about what's coming up. What he's going to do, his vision, and how it launches from Tokyo and covers the whole nation into other cities, other places. And because God has called him into apostolic ministry in that nation. I've always seen it. I've always known it. But he's been learning for seven years. Learning, looking, seeing. Learning all the wonderful things you can do. Learning all the things that you should not do. Seeing things done in a way that he does not agree with. That's okay. Not criticizing those things, at least not to them. Maybe mumbling about it to me, whereby I told them the same thing that I told myself when I was in his position for many years in other ministries. Wait, just wait. Just formulate your dreams. Come up with your imaginations and your plans. And when the time comes, then you will speak it. You think now then you will speak it. And then the power of God is released, like what happens here. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. 
Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Now, power is what was released. But the power, you could say, is the electrical current that brings all of the things that are available in Christ, including salvation. When I got saved and salvation came to me, it was so powerful it rendered me unconscious. And I did pass out when I received Jesus. And that power was released because I said and I spoke and I confessed. This woman made a plan. She carried out that plan. Power was released. And Jesus says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Why couldn't Jesus simply say, daughter, I have healed you. Daughter, I healed you. Because I love no, because in this case especially, he had no idea it was happening <laughs> until after it was done. She took it, was healed, and it was over. By the time Jesus said, Whoa, it was done. So it was not his plan. You understand, it was not his faith. It was his, if it was his faith, he would pray to Father, Father, I know today there will be a woman with this hemorrhaging problem and I pray that you put her in just the right place so that I can offer my clothes to her. No, he had no idea that this was happening. So this properly illustrates to us that it's our faith. Our faith is accessing power that I can receive it if I want it. I can receive that. If you want it, you can have it. But your faith is what has to step up in a simple brief moment after the message Thursday we had a great time and the Holy Spirit came suddenly there's power <laughs> but if somebody wanted it or not it was up to them and so I the first I it started with Matthews I walked over to Matthews he's talking and I just slapped him on the shoulder like that and when I did it shocked him and it also carried power because every time you see me in Matthews, Matthews has a special connect with me in the Holy Spirit. And when he sees me and I walk over to him, he will immediately begin to draw the power out of me. Or at least power that's flowing through my ministry. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing that whoever your spiritual teacher is, that you be able to draw power out of them. Because they're just the well. I mean, I can teach all I want, I can have all I want, but you're the one by your faith. Matthews is very good at that. I remember the first time it happened because we sat at the table back there and um, I was talking to him for the longest time about God's, but he had not yet had really um, access. And I was talking about believing and understanding that when we believe or our faith, it trusts to know and imagine and think. Right then when we were sitting, right, in, I saw, like, like kind of like that fan, but right uh, under the mezzanine, I saw what looked like a hole of spinning air. And I, I knew what it was. It was like an orifice from eternity that opened up. And all I had to do to say to Matthews was like, it's, it's opening, I see it right there. Well, his faith, believe that, and you were there, right? And he, that's when he got hit. God's glory hit him. But that, that's not my faith. That's so frustrating. I wish people could receive the power by my faith. Then there would be no question. I'd just go around just shoot people with Holy Ghost rays and knock them down. And I'd go walk around hawker centers and pss, 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 
you know, just go around, receive, receive, receive. But it's not like that. It has to be by the faith of the individual. And she made a plan, she made a strategy, and that's why the power went to her. So your faith has the ability to access the power of God. When we believe that He exists and that He rewards us, we can take the power of God. Number three, your faith draws Jesus to you. Jesus is very attracted to faith. Then they came to Jericho, Mark 10, 48, as Jesus and His disciples... Together with a large crowd were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Now, why would Jesus ask such a silly question? I mean, what a third grader, a toddler, most people would figure this out already. But Jesus could not just leave it that way because what was required was Bartimaeus' faith. And it had to be spoken. He was crying, mercy on me, mercy on me. That's very general. That's once again, that's like going to a restaurant and asking for food. You have to be more specific. And Jesus needed the specificity from him. That's why he asks this question. What do you want me to do for you? He could have said, I would like you to make me a pancake. He could have said anything, really. This question could have a multitude of answers. But he wanted healing, so he says very clearly, the blind man, Rabbi, teacher, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. So of all the people that were there on the road that day, one man was able to have a personalized meeting with Jesus to be healed. One person connected. Because Jesus was drawn to the man's faith. Bartimaeus obviously made the plan already. Inside of him was the idea that this Jesus, he made, he's healed other people, maybe he heard about that, so he put himself in a position when Jesus was coming so that he could get his attention by calling to him. He did so, Jesus responded, asked him what he wanted him to do for him, and he told him. Jesus, though, had to take the time to call for him. Why did not... You, you think that everybody else was completely silent that day and not saying anything? You think of the thousands of people, or hundreds at least, that were lined up on the road, that none of them were asking for anything? I think there were many people... I don't think they were just sitting there, stoic and quiet, watching Jesus go by, afraid to be irreverent. No, they were cheering... And I think it was more like the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. The whole city was turned upside down. I mean, it was a big ruckus event. It was a Hosanna moment. Everybody, I think everywhere Jesus went, there were throngs of people excited and yelling out. So why this one man? Because his faith in Jesus could sense it in him and knew. Right, that man has faith. And he pushed through and kept yelling. And as a result, he drew the attention of Jesus because he believed that he could be healed, and therefore Jesus called him out. 
And that's what Jesus does to us. We carry that faith into a place. And this is the thing, a dire need, uh, 12 years of hemorrhaging, a life in blindness. These are the things that cause us to really pray. Recently, my mother has been writing me, and more than ever before in the history of communication with my mother, she is writing the name Jesus. Jesus this, Jesus that, Jesus this, Jesus that. She's confessing Jesus like every sentence Jesus is coming out. And I was, you know, I would first think, well, why would, what would be the difference? She's just really a radical change in the way that she talks. She sounds like me about her faith, what she believed. Jesus can do this, Jesus can do that. Well, it turns out my mother has been in some trouble physically. And there's been blood in her urine for quite a while. And they did some research and they found a tumor. And they're worried about it and they're having to go inside and she's scared. So what's happening? Now she's crying out to the name of Jesus. So immediately I took the message. Remember the message sometime back I preached in 2015, Keeping Your Faith Alive, about Jairus and his daughter and how the people came. And I sent her that, I sent her the link from the recordings that we do. I sent her the link and she, I mean, from the time that she received it, she stopped writing me. We were in the middle of a conversation. She literally, an hour later, she wrote me back. So immediately she watched that whole message. She responded and gave commentary on every point. She listened to it. Wow, it's like I probably the first I mean, she could be watching me right now. She's that might have been one of the first times she's ever really listened to a message that I preach. So what's the difference? I've been around for a long time. I got saved 33 years ago. I've been preaching the whole time. She did get saved in the first message I preached. She came up in the altar call. But now things, why? Because need has arisen. And I'm walking with her in faith, and I know our faith here as a church absolutely believes that God can heal my mother. Yeah. And I said my mother will be healed in Jesus' name. And she's saying the same thing. And the only, only counsel I have for her is you better keep your faith alive. Watch out for people. Because they're going to come and say, don't bother the master. They're going to come and say, she's, it's already a dead situation. You have to believe. And she's stirred in believing, so I'm looking forward to a really good report about it all. Your faith draws Jesus to you. Her faith is flowing out of her. And I hope that she gets said. One thing is for sure, if if there are problems and complications and she did not survive all that is happening right now, all it takes is a confession of Christ to go to eternity. And she's constantly confessing to everybody, even her, her family who's with her. She's telling them, my trust is in Jesus. My trust is in Jesus. So it's a very good thing. Our faith causes Jesus to take notice of us. Number four, your faith causes you to praise God. The praise comes out of faith. Now on his way to Jerusalem in Luke 17, 11, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Now before we go on, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. I don't imagine that they were all ten of them saying this at exactly the same time in a chorus. Understand? The, if, it wouldn't be in quotations. So this is really the voice of one person. It's one person. Have us that was speaking on behalf of the group. You understand my point? That if not, it wouldn't be in parentheses or the quotation marks 
Jesus, Master, have pity on us. There's a very specific phrase there that someone said. I don't think they rehearsed and said, okay, everybody on the contrary, one, two, three, Jesus, Master, and they all said together. No, because it's an individual who's a spokesperson that is speaking on their behalf. But as a result, it works. And they all get healed, all ten of them get healed. However, one of them, when he, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. Now his faith has caused the leprosy to be removed, but he's the only one that's coming back to thank Jesus for it, to give Jesus praise. In the story, he, Jesus is hurt by the lack of the gratitude of the others, but I wonder if, the, if this one Samaritan was the cause of all of them going to Jesus. What if he's the one, what if they didn't really think much about it, but he's the one that hurt, he's the one that dreamed, he's the one that thought, what if it was speculation, but what if that's him saying, Jesus, have pity on me and all these other guys. So being the one that was the faith person to speak, he was healed. They all got benefited from it. They all had to believe to some degree, otherwise they wouldn't have been healed. But they are healed and they are gone because they're cleansed. But he came back and had a direct communication with Jesus to praise him and thank him. He may have been the one that had faith and the others followed. I see it all the time. I can have all the faith I want. People may gather around and benefit from that. But ultimately, the deeper connect with him, the closer relationship, will have to come from the individual in their faith. That's why I say I see this connected to praise, which brings us into an intimacy, number five. Your faith causes intimacy with God. Luke 7, 44. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven, little loves little. And Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say among themselves, well, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now in this particular case, your faith causes intimacy with God. You have a feeling, in this case it's gratitude, she felt gratitude toward the Lord for the forgiveness that he extended toward her, a sinful woman. In the former part of this, uh, earlier part of this passage, it mentions that there was a certain sinful woman. Notoriously, she was sinful. Uh, many people just conclude, well, she must have been a prostitute or at least some type of a whore or something. And as a result, people always knew. I said, you know when you see certain people what they are. Simon knew. Simon knew without a doubt uh, not just by reputation, but also that he could see and know, but then he also criticized Jesus at one point in this story where he says, well, if he were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is. And that's preceding this passage. I didn't read the whole thing. Well, if he were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman. Well, he knew exactly what kind of woman that was. 
He knew exactly what she was, who she was, and what she had done. But none of those things mattered. All that mattered was her faith. Because if you have faith, you need nothing else. Jesus is only looking for that. Intimacy with him comes from our faith. Your faith has to care. My faith early on, my intimacy with God, my close, deep encounters with God are all a product of my faith. And I read people's stories about their faith, and I chose to believe, well, if, if it's good for them, it's good for me. If they can have it, I can have it, because God's no respecter of persons. If this guy had an encounter, if this guy became anointed, if this preacher experienced this, if this guy went to heaven, if this guy uh, spoke in tongues, if this, this is how everything came to me. Then I expressed my faith. I thought then for me it will be too. Sometimes it was a harder task for me to break through to the levels of intimacy that I have reached. In the early days it was. It was not all that easy. It was a lot of, like, I was pounding on heaven's door. I just was not pounding hard enough. So waiting, seeking, hoping, but not really having the interaction. During that time, however, I was learning, and my faith was expanding. I was learning how to believe. How to believe. I was believing some of the wrong things. And he was waiting for that to mature in me. When it matured and it reached a level of desperation, he responded came to me, touched me, revealed my future to me, and intimacy was there, and it was built entirely upon my faith, because I was not a good boy. You know, my past, I had sin. It didn't matter. Sin does not matter. Your faith is what matters. Your problems do not matter. Your faith is what matters. Intimacy is not dependent upon your holiness. And that's why a lot of people are not intimate with God. Because they don't feel they should approach God to be intimate because of the sins in their life. And they're ashamed. That's not Jesus' fault. It's according to their faith. And her faith saved her in relation to Jesus because she came to Him with an expression of intimacy and sacrifice, given an alabaster box, break it open and expensive. She, she sacrificed this. She broke it, poured it on his feet, anointed her, and the whole time Simon was watching was disgusted by this. But where was Simon's faith through this all? Simon was not told in any way, shape, or form that, that, that his faith had done something for him because his faith did not do anything And this is one thing that's interesting. He was in the house too. Jesus was there with him in his house in fellowship. Because you can go to church without faith. I, you can be a preacher without faith. You can be a pastor of a large congregation with absolutely no faith at all if you have a guaranteed salary and you're part of a big organization that pays and gives certain perks and rights and privileges and you have a social standing and you are trained to orate correctly, say the right things and you have an education and you can just teach the Bible, you can teach the Bible without faith. You understand, faith is a distinctly different component. Your faith may be that you believe that this is true, but you can actually teach it and preach it and share it without believing it's true. I have met people that were in the ministry that did not really believe what they were sharing and confessed it to me and told me that it's just my job. I won't name the denomination, but in, in a couple of denominations, I've come across people that in a moment of complete candidness and openness, they just said, I, I don't really know if I believe all this. Blew my 
You wear a collar. You have clothes on. You, you are, this is your whole life. It's really more, this quote unquote, it's really more about giving people something to believe in. Gosh. And I realized at that moment, you can have a ministry and not have faith. And so therefore their faith does nothing for them. Remember, there's many that will say that, hey, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this? There's a lot of things you can do without faith. In this particular case, though, this woman, everything she's doing is faith. She believed, she thought, I go, she sacrificed, she gave, and as a result, this intimacy was formed, built upon her faith, and that's why Jesus said. Number six, your faith is what Jesus is looking for. Luke 8, 22, one day Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. Swamp means waves were coming over the top of the boat and going into the boat. The disciples went in, woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. And he got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Here's a strange question. Where is your faith? Where is it? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? Who is this guy? I mean, they knew him. They'd been with him for quite a while, but they'd never seen anything like this. He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. It's interesting that when the wind and the waves threatened the disciples, all they needed was faith, but they misplaced it. But sometimes you can find your back against the wall, be in a difficult situation, and all you see is the wind and the waves, and somehow you can't find your faith. This is where I use the analogy of an aircon remote control. How many of you have had air conditioning systems in your house that cannot be operated on the device itself, and only the remote control can affect them? I mean, I've been in a few places where you can't, there's no button on the thing. The aircon is beautiful, but you can't, without the remote control, and then you lose the remote control. How many of you ever lost a remote control? That really sucks, because you, you can't change it, you can't find it, and, and you, you're looking and it becomes a very contentious moment in the house. You blame the children. What did you do with the remote control? So you lost the remote control. You have no power to change anything without it. So what happens? Will you learn to put it in an important place with the threat of punishment for anyone who does not return it to that place? <laughs> so the remote control stays right here. This is where it will always stay, here and here alone. And some, and I, in my house, it's like that. So I come, I have a little writing desk right by the television in the main room, and that, air, that remote control stays right there. <laughs> and anyone can pick it up if they want and turn everything on and off and dance while they do it. But you better put it back there. Because I want to know where it is so that when I come in, it's there. When I come in and it's not there, oh, I'm incensed. <laughs> I'm mad. I'm hot and I want air con and I can't turn them on because the air conditioner remote is missing. So I have to go out of my way, go back into the bedroom. Thank God that remote control operates all the, all the air cons in the house. So I have to go inside. There's a couple times I went back there and couldn't find that one either. Oh, no. And it really made me start thinking about faith. That's what he's saying. Where's your remote control? 
They had no power. They couldn't. They couldn't stop the waves. He would have never said it if it weren't true. They could have believed. They could have operated in faith. Because if they could say to a mountain, "Be removed," it would have to move if they had their remote control. So this is important that we consider that Jesus is looking for them. When the fears of life overwhelm us and we find it in, it ourselves in a difficult place and it's hard to locate our faith, we, we suffer. If we do not keep our faith easily available, this can happen. Think of the, the ten virgins, the five wise and the five foolish. Five of them lost their remote controls because they did not properly prepare. They didn't designate the need. They didn't put emphasis on hanging on to that oil. So as a result, they missed out on the bridegroom coming and taking them away. They were not able. It's too late. They went elsewhere. Faith is important in this case, and, and that's why the sixth point is simply that, that Jesus is looking for them. Remember it says that when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? So that means that's exactly what he's looking for. When he comes to take us away, he's looking to see if you have a remote control in your hand. Is your faith that close that you know exactly where it is at all times. And this is a segue into the seventh point. Your faith must be kept safe through it all. Luke twenty-two thirty-one. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. That's interesting. He prayed that his faith not fail. This implies that faith can fail. That's scary, isn't it? What it means is that we are in control of the faith. So whether we use it or not, that's not his responsibility. It's our responsibility. And when people realize this, they try to do something, well, they go to God and they ask for help. And I like the passage with the epileptic um, boy, his father, said, help my unbelief, help my faith. And Jesus taught and said, you know, it's only by prayer and fasting. One translation says there's these ideas. But this is a particular case where the man was asking for help. We need to know how to handle our faith. We need to keep it intact. We need to guard it. We need to protect it. And this is what he is saying, that when um, I'm praying for you that your faith may not fail. Now, he's not saying here, once again, we need to isolate his faith versus his reality. Because go back to the introduction, if faith is the substance things hoped for, well, your faith does not mean that you will be what you hope to be in that moment. You may fail. But your faith doesn't have to fail. He already presupposed, in fact, conceded to the point, Peter, you're going to fail. Satan sought to sift you with wheat. I pray that your faith may not fail because you're going to fail. Because he goes on to say, and when you have turned back, well, turn back. What do you mean turn back? Meaning you're going to stumble and fall. You're going to make a mistake. But it's okay. As long as you hold on to your faith, you can keep coming back. Because yeah. yes. faith is all that matters. Yes. Your mistakes, your sin, your errors, your problems, your misunderstandings, your confusions, your depressions, all those things Jesus is like when you go into that drawer and you're looking for the bottle opener and it's not a twist top and, and it's it's the junk drawer, we call it in my house. And you're just digging through all that crap that's in there and you're like, 
shoestrings and matchboxes and lighters that don't work. Why would you put it back in the drawer is my question. It doesn't work. Throw it away. We'll get it up. But you know what ends up in that one drawer. Almost everybody has that drawer in their house. My mother used to call it the junk drawer. I inherited that tradition. We have a junk drawer. You can't just pull anything right out of it. It is an, an entangled mass of things. I have, this is crazy, I have chargers for Nokia phones in there. I haven't owned a Nokia phone in like six years. Why is a stupid charger in there? Because the cable is so intertwined with all the other junk in there, I would never be able to get it out. So that's how I see Jesus with us. We come in with a lot of problems. He might have to sift through the junk because what he's looking for is the faith. He's going to find it. And as long as you hold on to it, even if it's in a junk drawer, it's enough. Because even, even, like, even if it's the size of a grain of mustard seed, it's enough to move mountains. The smallest little speck of faith. <laughs> I hope for a better tomorrow. Even if it's just a little tiny sesame seed. I hope for great things to come. I hope for a movement that can change and shape nations. I hope as I walk through the learning curve of life and try to figure out things and deal with the pitfalls that I, I hope, I have hope that hope is connected to the eternal place. It is inside of the veil as an anchor. It is connecting to anything being possible. And I have a responsibility to keep it safe. No matter what goes on around me, I have to hold on to that faith. I believe. That kind of faith and the preservation thereof is really built more upon not you defining faith as what God will do, but what God can do. Maybe He doesn't do it. Remember the Hall of Fame of Faith again in Hebrews 11 says, These died having not seen their hopes substantiated. But they had faith in not, even though they didn't see the fulfillment of it all. They had faith to be honored by God. Because God is not, even your successes are not important. Less important are your successes and your failures than that faith. Because everything is by faith. Simon had to learn a difficult lesson. And we all will be tested the same way and we have to hold on to the faith regardless of what happens in life. He came back, you know, Peter after, of course, you know what happens. He goes on, he goes on from here. After he says, that, you know, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and the dead. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Peter will go, oh, no, Lord. It will not be. But he did. When he was doing the first couple, do you think he remembered this? I don't think he was even thinking about it. He was just in a mode of self-preservation. Third time, eyes meet, cock-a-doodle-doo. Then it clicked. And it says he ran from that place. He wept bitterly. Because when you do fall apart, when you do fail, you feel so miserable. But he did not lose his faith. He came back. 
You don't have to have an attitude of superiority or strength. All you need is faith. I'm sure when Peter met with Jesus again after this moment, after the resurrection, his head was hanging low. I'm sure as everybody else was celebrating, oh, Jesus is back, Peter looked like a guilty man. And I think that's why Jesus separated him and told him what he told him. Gave him that moment and said to him, do you love me? Reconnecting, because all that matters is that his faith was still there. That's why he prayed for that. Why didn't he pray for Satan to leave him alone? Why didn't he pray for Peter not to have to go through those problems? No, he didn't. He just prayed, prayed that his faith not fail. Sought to see if you like, but I prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. Every morning when I pray, I seek the Lord and I ask him, I say, Lord, I say, Lord, pray for me. I actually tell Jesus every day, because he's seated at the right hand of the Father right now making intercession for me. And I truly believe that. So I'm asking Him all the time. I ask Him to pray for me. I say, Jesus, pray for me. Pray for me right now. Pray whatever you want to pray. You know things I don't know. I yield to the Spirit. I yield to what you have to say to me. But these seven things we saw about your faith. Your faith makes your future. Whatever you will live is up to you. There is a plan. There is a strategy. There is a blueprint. I believe that He has predestined something for you. Whether you walk in it or not, that's not His responsibility. That's according to your faith. Your faith accesses the power of God. It, there is power available for all things. There's no, there are not limited resources in eternity. Everything's available, but once again, it's your faith. Your faith draws Jesus to you. If you want to be attractive to Jesus, you have to not only have the faith, you have to show the faith the things you proclaim, even salvation comes from that. Your faith causes you to praise God. Out of you will rise praise, gratitude, your faith. Don't worry about the others. You give thanks to God. You connect to Him. Your faith causes intimacy with God. All He cared about was that she had faith. If not, He would have said, your alabaster box has saved you. Your tears have saved you. The way you wipe my feet with your hair, that's the trick. You did it. No, it was the faith. She did many wonderful things to honor him, but it's the faith that, that he saw and was impressed with, and that's where the intimacy came from. Your faith is what Jesus is looking for. He's looking, he's on the hunt for it. Your life might get in a mess sometimes, but it's in there. He's gonna find it. Just come to church, worship, let the Spirit of God come upon you. It might hurt because he's looking through the junk drawer. He's gonna find it. He finds the faith. Find what you believe. Think of my friend Kevin Ray who died and went to hell. The Spirit of the Lord saw the word. He says, my word in you. And he brought him out of hell. Well, that was faith. Not just word, because many people have word. It's the word that he believed in. And it was enough even to pull him out of hell. Your father, I mean, uh, your faith is, is what Jesus is looking for. Your faith must be kept safe through it all. So hang on to your faith. Jesus is praying that your faith not fail. I pray that your faith not fail. I pray that you don't fail too. I want everybody to succeed. But come on, life is all about failures. We make mistakes. Just, it's okay. Just get up. Just, just have faith. Just have faith in Him and believe. Amen. Thank you for listening to Antioch Center for the Nations. If you would like to support our efforts, please consider making a donation at www.antiochchurch.sg. Thank you.